Hey, good evening, guys. How are we doing tonight? Good, good, good. Well, my name's Joel. Um, those of you that don't know me, that I haven't got a chance to meet yet, I'm the community groups pastor here at Spring Branch. Uh, super glad to be with you tonight, thankful to be with you tonight, and I'm excited about this passage. Like Ryan said uh, at the top of the service, um, I, I think we are going to be asked to evaluate. I think God's word is going to ask us to evaluate what we think about his character, what we think about his nature, uh, and whether that, what, what we learn about ourselves and our desire or lack thereof to come before him uh, with our request to ask and seek and knock. And so if you'll grab a Bible, turn over to Matthew 7. We're going to be in Matthew 7, 7 through 11, kind of continuing through this Sermon on the Mount. And while you're turning there, uh, I want to tell you a story. I was, uh, the other day, I get this email devotional uh, in the morning, uh, first thing in the morning. It's there as soon as I wake up. And the other day, it was a familiar passage in a different, in a new translation to me. It was 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. You guys might know, might remember that passage. Cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you, right? But in this translation, uh, it kind of caught me off guard. I'd never heard this translation before. Uh, and it said it this way. It said, you can throw the whole weight of your anxieties upon him for you are his personal concern. Let me say it again. You can throw the whole weight of your anxieties on him for you are his personal concern. What do you think about that? Just take a second, ask yourself, what is my knee jerk reaction to hearing that verse in those words. Be honest with yourself. Because I'll tell you what the first thing was that came to my mind is <laughs> that cannot possibly be the case. This is some, this is some kind of yuppie, feel good, kind of just new pop psychology type translation. Right? I see a couple of you nodding your heads. All right, so I'm, I know I'm not the only one in this room that heard it that way. But, so I don't want to actually, my point tonight is not to actually parse out the verbs and get into the Greek and ask what is the validity or legitimacy of that translation. What I want to do is I want to ask, if you are like me and your first reaction was utter disbelief, like this is silly and this is not, we need, to, we need to go back go back to the King James, the old King James version, right? Get the good stuff. If that was your reaction, I just want to ask, what is it in our hearts? What is it in our understanding of God our Father that would cause that disbelief in our, in our, in our first reaction? Why is it that I think, now nah, is that real? Is God, am I really, are my anxieties really God's personal concern? Okay, I understand he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole, right? But it's my anxieties, my needs, the, the, the pressing issues in my life right now, are those truly his personal concern? Okay, and if we disbelieve that, I think that Matthew 7, 7 through 11 has a good word for us. So let's turn over there. If you're already there, we're gonna read that. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, 
the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so we're talking about prayer today. And it's, it's a good, it's always a good kind of first things first exercise for us to define our terms. We always want to know what we mean when we say prayer. Otherwise, we end up like that famous line in The Princess Bride. You guys ever watch The Princess Bride? You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. All right, so we're talking about prayer. Let's define our terms. What do we mean when we say prayer? When we talk about prayer, do you know, fun Bible trivia fact of the evening Every single word, four, five, six different words in the Greek language that get brought over into our English Bibles as prayer, do you know every single one of them at bottom, at foundation, means this, to ask. Okay? To ask, to entreat, to ask on behalf of someone else. Like, it's all variations on the theme, but every single one of them means to ask. So when we talk about prayer we are talking about making our requests known to God. When we talk about prayer, we're talking about petition. In fact, every single line of the Lord's Prayer, just a chapter ago, guys, just in Matthew 6, every single line is a request. Even hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name is really, God, I am asking you to make your name hallowed. I am asking you to make much of your name. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As James so eloquently sang just now, right? As we all so eloquently sang. But James did a dadgum good job, right? Every single one of them a request. One Dallas Seminary professor said it this way. Prayer is nothing more, nothing less, nothing else than asking God for something. Prayer is nothing more, nothing less, nothing else than asking God for something. Okay, but maybe you're more like me. See, I grew up in the church that I grew up, churches that I grew up in, one of the most popular modes of prayer when we got together in groups and even in our own uh, personal quiet times and things like that was the ACTS model. You guys familiar with the ACTS model? Nod your head yes, shake your head no. Anybody? Okay, A-C-T-S, right? And it stood for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And you would kind of walk through each section of those. You kind of spend a few minutes as you were talking to God. In fact, there's another pretty good definition of prayer for you, just simply talking to God, right? But the Acts model, nothing wrong with it. Like, don't hear me say that there's anything wrong with the Acts model of prayer. It's good unless... Unless when you are going through your adoration, your confession, and your thanksgiving, unless you think that in doing all of that, you are piling up street cred before God so that at the end, you can finally ask him for the stuff that you really, really want. Right, so it's like, oh God, you are so great. You are so awesome. I adore you for this. And God, I confess this. I am so awful, miserable, horrible, no good, very bad person. And thank you, God, that you give me all of this good stuff, even in spite of how awful and horrible and no good, terrible, very bad person that I am. And by the way, 
if I could just bend your ear for a second, Heavenly Father, um, there's this issue of the job that I desperately need. And if you'll refer back to all the adoration and confession and thanksgiving that I've been doing, you'll see that the scales have begun to balance in my favor. And you are, you are obligated, actually, Father, to answer me in these supplications. Sincerely, me, right? That would not be a biblical posture of prayer. A biblical posture of prayer is for you and I to humble ourselves before God, to be still, right? And to know in everything we are deeply dependent on him. We are asking him for literally every, like everything. Like our next breath comes as a grace gift from him. And so all of it is just making requests and we are reminding ourselves in prayer that it is God who is in control and not we ourselves, right? And so if we can just simply be willing to ask, seek, and knock, that's what I think Matthew 7 is trying to get our minds wrapped around this idea, right? But then prayer, um, prayer comes with a whole host of questions for us, right? Prayer, man, I, like over the course of my life, I have just kind of gone through this whole gauntlet of questions in my heart and my mind. Like, does prayer really, uh, scare quotes, work, right? Is it effective? Does the God of the universe really, I mean, really change the course of history based on whether I pray or do not pray about something, Right? Is he really sovereign or is he not really sovereign that like this stuff really doesn't make any difference whether I ask or don't ask, right? And those are all, hear me, those are all excellent questions, legitimate questions, necessary questions for you and I to work out with the Lord in the, over the course of our whole lives, okay? But I actually don't think that those are the questions that Jesus is directly, specifically trying to answer in this passage, Here's what I think the question he's asking, uh, the question he's trying to address. Why should I ask, seek, knock? Or rather, why does God give good gifts to those who ask, seek, and knock? Why does God give good gifts when we ask? And I think the answer that we're going to find in short is because he is a good father. I think Jesus is compelling us, inviting us to see our Heavenly Father as intrinsically good and to tell us, hey, you have good reason to expect good gifts from your good Father, okay? Um, in case you were wondering, those words, ask, seek, and knock, are really just synonyms for one another, they're not like, I, I've read um, in some commentaries that describe it like this escalation. Like you don't just ask, but you seek. You don't just seek, but you knock, you know? And it's like, no, nah, it's, not, it's not really what's going on. I don't exactly know what the difference is between seeking and knocking, but I don't think that's Jesus's point. I think those are synonyms. I think that is a triple emphasis. I think Jesus is really trying to be emphatic here. Simply ask, simply seek, simply knock, right? And so, you know, 
we hear, in fact, another thing you might hear a lot is it's the persistence. How many of you heard that it's really the persistence? You may be looking at a translation that says, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, right? How many of you have heard that? And there are passages, there are points. In fact, Luke's gospel, right after Luke's take on the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11, he tells the parable of the persistent widow, There's a parable of the friend at midnight who by his persistence was heard, right? And so I'm not saying that that's not, uh, that persistence isn't a good thing to have in our prayer life, but I don't think that's the point. I don't think Matthew, I don't think it's Matthew's point in this chapter or Jesus's point rather. Um, So pop quiz then, is it true? Is it good to pray persistently? Yes, Yes, I see a couple of thumbs up. Yes, it's not a trick question. Yes, it is good to pray persistently, right? But question two, is the reason that we struggle to pray persistently because we don't really care about the thing that we're praying about? Do you see what I'm asking? Is it really, do I, do I, fall short of what I would call consistency or faithfulness in prayer because these are just not super important things to me? No, no, not at all. In fact, these are most of the things that I end up praying to God for, I need desperately. When I, when I work up the courage to go to God in prayer, so many of us, it is because stuff has really hit the fan, right? We really got to have an answer like now, like yesterday, okay? So it is not that these are light things. It's not that these are just kind of, ah, you know, new job, take it or leave it, you know? Would like to get married, but who cares, you know? Um, Need direction, need healing for this disease or this illness in my life, but, you know, if it doesn't happen, okay, sirrah, sirrah, right? No, not at all. So, I think the point that Jesus is making in Matthew 7 is that it is not so much. This is not a cheat sheet for how to get your wishes granted. This is much more about the character of the being, the character of the God who is doing the granting. You see what I'm saying? So if you and I will simply believe and ask, then it will be given. Now, that word it can be a little bit confusing, honestly, because it begs the question, like, what is it that we are, that is being given to us, okay? And the, the verb there, that given, I am going to parse some Greek words for you tonight, okay? Not the earlier ones, but this one. The given is in the passive, okay? It's not something that's giving itself. It is being given, okay? So let me, it, it might be better for us to phrase it like this. Ask and God will give it. Give what? What he deems best. Ask and God will give what he sees fit. What is in accordance with his will. How do I know? What, what am I, how do I, where am I drawing on this to get that? Well, just in the previous chapter, it says, hey, don't worry. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your needs. Look at the sparrows. Look at the lilies. Look how God cares for them. How much more will he care for you? Right? And then the chapter, before, and then earlier in the same chapter in the Lord's Prayer, 
Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Everything about the context, guys, of the Sermon on the Mount, of this passage is saying to us that it is God's will that we are really asking for, that we are really asking for him to come through in accordance with his good intentions for us. Okay, so we're talking, now we're talking about the will of God. And I don't, I'm not gonna be so bold as to venture just like a real short kind of compact definition of the will of God, right? But let me, let me sketch out some boundaries for us because I think a lot of us, when we're talking about the will of God, we have what I'll call the labyrinth view of the will of God, okay? A couple weeks ago, we took our daughter Lainey to the pumpkin patch uh, as, uh, as every parent with an Instagram account and a toddler is wont to do around the fall season, right? So we got the fall outfit, right? We got all, we got it made sure portrait mode was on in front of all of the seasonal gourds. We threw that on the social medias, got all the likes and comments and love for that. It's fantastic. And at this pumpkin patch, they had this giant corn maze, Okay. Now this year, the corn maze was only up to my waist. And so I was like, well, this isn't hard at all. You know, I just kind of hop over this and record time, you know, where's my prize. But, but I think so many of us think of God's will, like we think of that corn maze. Okay. Like every time I come to a fork, it's like, oh, oh no. Oh, oh, geez. Do, do I go left center? Right. If I go left, what, what, if I, what if I'm wrong? How long could I be walking left if that's wrong and outside of God's will for my life? What if, I, what if there's no turnaround? What if I get so far down left that I can't even come back and go right, right? And so now, because of this decision that I made when I was 18 or 21 or 25, now in, in my view of God's will for my life, I am so far outside of it, I can't even get back to what his, his quote unquote best for me. It's like I've cut myself off from God's good intentions. And now he's just like, well, I don't know if you, you should have been listening when you were 18. Now you're 48 and we'll look where that got you. Okay. Um, that is a terrible sub biblical view of the will of God. But I can't tell you guys how often I run into this, how often I have these conversations of like, well, I don't know, like, what if I'd gone to OU instead of A&M or, I don't know, are there, maybe there's not that many people in the crowd right now worrying about that, but, you know, I, what if I picked the wrong job? You know, what, could I be outside of God's will for my life? We just want this chalk line on the ground or this trail of breadcrumbs, and it's like, it's like that scene in the Lord of the Rings with the mines of Moria and they're just kind of cavernous. They go on forever and all I've got is this little nine volt powered lantern. You know, I'm just like, what's next? You know, and no. I want to say that God's will for us is so much more simple than that. I want you to remember two words, know and grow. Okay, if you are here tonight and you are not a follower of Jesus, you have not come to know his saving 
work on the cross, his overcoming death on our behalf. If you have not made him, if you have not submitted to him as your Lord, as the Lord of your life, as the savior of the world, his will for you is to do that. It is to do that pronto, okay? He is so much more concerned with your eternal salvation, with your living an abundant life in him now than he is with the next car that you purchase or the next house that you live in, okay? His will is just that, okay? First Peter, two, excuse me, First Timothy 2, 4. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, but that all should be saved and come to the knowledge of him. So he makes his will. He's desirous for that. He is, it is his will for you to be saved, to come to know him. And if you have come to know him as his follower, as a disciple of Jesus, you're learning to walk in his footsteps, in his way, then his will is for you to grow, okay? for you to be sanctified. It literally spells this out for us, guys. First Timothy 4, or excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. Ready? This is the will of God, colon, your sanctification. It does not get more simple than that. What is the will of God for my life? That we be incrementally made more and more like his son, Jesus. Well, but well, what, what college can I do that at? What career path should I take to accomplish that? Like most any of them, pretty much all of them, right? There, I guess there are some jobs, like you should, probably shouldn't be a drug dealer. That might be outside of the will of God for your life, okay? You probably shouldn't be like a hitman or like a, a mercenary killer for hire. That might be outside of boundaries of God's will, right? But if you're choosing between like accounting and finance, counseling and education, Okay, then what career path, which one should I choose in order to be made more like Jesus? Man, just live in the freedom that there is not really a good, better, best as far as growing into fullness and maturity in Christ. We make it so much more complicated, so much more complicated. So what does it look like then to pray in line with God's will. If God's will truly is that simple, right? To come to know him, to grow more like him, then what does it look like to pray more in line with God's will? So my family growing up, we were not a video game family, okay? My parents were uh, very opposed to video games in the house, okay? They were gonna rot my eyeballs and brain that we were, we were just gonna, you know, we weren't gonna read any books anymore. We weren't going to go outside anymore. Like we can't have those things in the house, right? And my brothers and I, my two little brothers and I, we did what any savvy, sharp, young children would do is we just declared trench warfare on my parents. We were just going to browbeat them until they just gave in more than really changed their minds, right? It was just daily. Mom, can we get a Nintendo? Mom, can we get a Super Nintendo? Dad, can we get an N64? Why is this not happening yet, right? Um, and 
honestly, like, so my parents, my mom being the great homeschool mom that she was, shout out to homeschool mom, she said, uh, I saw a couple fist fouls there. All right, yeah, nice, good job. Way to go, guys. Um, <laughs> I, never mind. Uh, my mom said, okay, you want a video game system? Fine. Write me a three to five page essay on why you should be given a video game system. So I like, <laughs> challenge accepted. All right. So I am like, this was the best paper that I think I've ever written in my life. But listen, I had to, I had to read my parents' mind. I had to get inside what was their will for me as their child. And I had to reframe this, right? So it's like, okay, uh, do y'all remember the original Nintendo? I don't know. Oh, oh, the original Nintendo had Encyclopedia Britannica, the game, okay? No, it was not actually a game. It really was just you put it in and it's an alphabetical listing, like an encyclopedia, a searchable encyclopedia for the 8-bit Nintendo. Okay, I don't, they honest, obviously did not know what they were dealing with, what they had in their hands because there were like 17 copies of that sold probably all to libraries. Uh, but, I, but man, when I got a hold of that, I was like, oh, mom, dad, I'm gonna get Encyclopedia Britannica, the game. Don't you worry. That is really why I want a Nintendo so I can search the encyclopedia. And then, oh, there there was Noah's Ark, the video game for the old school Nintendo, right? And so you're doing the deep sanctifying work of collecting all the animals two by two and returning them to the Ark, right? So don't worry, mom, dad, hey, I'm going to get Noah's Ark. I'm going to get Encyclopedia Britannica, the game. And like, look at all this research on hand-eye coordination for those that play at least two hours a day of video games, mom and dad. I mean, you don't want me to be clumsy. You definitely want me to have good hand-eye coordination. So but 1998, Christmas 1998 came and we won. We won the war, the trench warfare. Our cries were heard. We asked, we sought, we knocked on the door of the Nintendo 64 and there it was underneath the Christmas tree. Praise God from whom all blessings flow, right? And I say that is a ridiculous analogy just to say that maybe we need to spend some time aligning those requests, those needs that we have with the will of God that we know, the character of God that we know to be true, his character that he has revealed to us through his word, through his spirit dwelling inside of us. Like, for example, I know, that, I know that sounds like, that can sound like I'm hedging my bets, right? Like, God, no, I, I really don't. It, it's really not important, God. Like, what I want, I just want your will to be done, right? And, this, and then that way, whatever happens tomorrow, it was like, well, I guess this was God's will. Thanks be to God. And I just keep praying for God's will to be done. I'm not so much talking about that. I actually think if we were to take our requests and really shave off the rough edges of some of them, it would, be, it would be a very scary, very difficult task. Example, maybe you have that friend that just stabbed you in the back, stabbed you in the back, twisted the knife, whole nine yards. What does our prayer life look like with respect to that relationship? because I know what I might like to have happen in my flesh, right? But as I bring myself to attention before God in prayer, 
God, what do I know to be true about you? Are you a vindictive God? Are you a grudge-keeping God? Are you a distant God who has kind of stiff-armed those who are, who are rebellious against you? Or are you a forgiving God? Are you a reconciling God? And if I know that's your character, God, then I, I've got to do some business with you on this relationship, this person that really hurt me. Not easy stuff. What if we've been praying, uh, as I have for several years of my life, what if we've been praying for a child and God's not really coming to answer us on that yet in the way that we've been praying, right? Do we need to maybe do some business with a passage like when some folks come to Jesus and they say, hey, your mother and your brothers are outside, and Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers except those that do the will of my father? Jesus decentralizes the nuclear family and elevates the spiritual family. So is it, is it more important for me to have biological offspring or offspring by any pathway or means or God, I know that one of the things that you desire is for a legacy of faith to go stretch far beyond my lifetime. And so whatever sons and daughters means for me, I'm ready for that. I'm ready for you to work in my life to that end. It's not easy at all. Maybe you are so filled with pride and self-reliance and self-righteousness and exaltation that you are terrified that if you, in your heart of hearts, that if you really handed your requests over to God, that he would destroy them. Like he'd mess up all the work you've been doing. Or what if you're so filled with shame and guilt that you think that if you were to hand over all of your life and your request to him, that he would just destroy you. We've misunderstood the character of the one to whom we're praying. N.T. Wright says it this way, for most of us, the problem is not that we are too eager to ask for the wrong things, it's we are not nearly eager enough to ask for the right things. It's not that we're too eager to ask for the wrong things. We're not nearly eager enough to ask for the right things. So that, I'm being honest, that, that's the idea of asking for the right things scares me to death sometimes. And it means that I have to trust him more. How much more Jesus says, indeed, how much more? If you then, actually, let's back up to nine. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those 
who ask him. Now listen, this does not mean that you cannot be honest with God about your requests, about your preferences, about your desires, your wants, your felt needs. I know this because if we were to flip about 19 pages to our right, we would see in Matthew 26, 39, Jesus himself in the garden of Gethsemane pouring out his soul to the father. And he says, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Your modern English, God, I don't want to do this. God, if there's another way for this to happen, we need to investigate that. Like I'm very open to alternatives to what's about to happen. I know that people are going to be saying to me, if you're the son of God, come down. I'd like the option to do that. Thank you. Let's talk. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. Jesus gives us a framework for holding our real, felt, deepest needs, holding those up to God, being honest with him about them. And then the tension of also trusting our heavenly father, that he's good, that he does good to his children and that he can be trusted with those wants. He never ceases to bring himself before his father and say, whatever it is that you have for me, I'm ready. And he invites us to do the same. Ask, seek, knock. Are you and I are children of God. If we have believed in Jesus Christ, we are children of God. First John 3, 1 says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And so as a child, even if, even if it's your, even if you think you have just recklessly spent all of the time that God has given you, all of the resources that God has given you, and you just don't know, like I just, I don't think I can come to him. Do you know that God, your heavenly father, is recklessly lavishing his love and his compassion and his care on you. All you have to do is turn to him and believe that, have the courage to believe that by faith. Is that the picture that you have of God this evening? A.W. Tozer says it this way, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You know, I do not just fancy myself the best dad 
on the planet. I'm not winning any awards, but there are a few things that I can, with grace to myself, with you know a little compassion towards myself, with all the humility that I can muster, that I can admit I do a pretty good job of. Not too bad. I am really, really good at the wake-up routine and the nighttime routine. Like landing, takeoff, landing, great stuff, man. Haley goes in uh, to work pretty early, and so I'm uh, I'm one uh, that's the the in charge of getting Laney up and getting her to Mother's Day out program to daycare, and, and so like I've got the I got the app set for just the right time when the little the little sound machine the birdies go off, and it's like you know also idyllic and it's like oh it's time to wake up you know and we get our, we get dressed and we make the bed and then we come out and the chocolate milk is already ready and Daniel Tiger's already on the TV and dad's already like scrambling the eggs and getting the sausage ready and it's like we get in the car and then the playlist is going and the troll soundtrack is bumping and you know it's like it's just a party on the way to drop off and then I even like we're coming around the the parking lot turn and I unbuckle as, she, as we're in the parking lot. Okay, this is safe, I promise. And it's like unbuckle and when she can pop her head up the sunroof and she's just like jamming and coming into the drop off. And it's just, it's awesome. It's so, like mornings are so fun with Lainey and I. I love it. But if I put myself at the mount in Jesus's sermon, I'm still in the crowd that he is addressing and saying, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly father? How much more? Like Joel, look, Joel, no disrespect, but if you who are sinful know how to crush it on wake up routine, and how to just, you're just dad of the year in the drop-off and the, and the bedtime. And if you who are evil can do that, how much more your heavenly father? I think we have good reason to expect good gifts from our good father. If we would just ask Let's pray. God, I want to believe that with every fiber of my being. I want, I want everyone in this room, I want our church to know, not just cognitively, not just in our head, but in our gut, a core truth of our lives that you are good and that you do good and that you can be trusted with all of our requests no matter how severe serious painful would you would you give us the courage father would you give us would you grace us with the ability to see you in that way, to know you in that way. Uh, we don't have our, our prayer partners up to the left and right of the stage just yet, but if you are just right where you are, with every head bowed and every eye closed, 
if you're here tonight and you're just saying, I, that's not really been my prayer life. That's not really been the way that I've seen my Heavenly Father. Would you just stand and just say, I, I, I desperately want to know Him, to know Him as a good Father. I desperately want to be able to ask and seek and knock and know that He can be trusted. Would you stand? God, would you, would you answer these men and women here tonight? Holy Spirit, would you just blow through our hearts and kick off some of the cobwebs and the rust and the, the lies and the half-truths about you and help us, help us, help us. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.